Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. Let's get to the word of God. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 to 25. Some of you will be excited to hear we're in the second last week of the series. We've made our way uh, patiently through the book of Genesis, and we're coming to the climax of it, and we're really excited. So Genesis 45. Let's read from verse 1. It says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard, him, heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 12 goes on and says, You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he said to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And that is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Before we tuck into this amazing text of Scripture, coming to the, the climax, the culmination of this incredible tale of this promotable life named Joseph, 
I want to tell you a story about our life. A year ago, uh, the Phillips family moved into a new home, and we were very proud of ourselves. We were very chuffed that this was the, the, the incredible home that God had blessed us with, and, and it came along with an incredible mother-in-law as well attached to it. So what, what a delight. What a story. What a, what a joy. But I, I remember this moment where as I was lying in bed one night, and there's uh, the early hours of the morning, and then the, the storm started to roll up. And the rain started to come down like I had never known in Cape Town. I've known this on the high felt, I've known this in Zimbabwe, but I've never known this type of storm in Cape Town where the rain was pounding. And I don't know about you, but I, when the rain starts to pound, and we've got this corrugated uh, roof, uh, roofing system, so the, the rain was so loud outside, and, and I just love it. It's just something about, I tuck down deeper, I'm like, oh, this is lovely, eh? Oh, so good. It's just that beautiful white noise in the background, and it's just, it's just incredible. Um, I've got a beautiful lady next to me, uh, Fiona, in bed, and we're cuddling. It's just like, life is good, people. I'm like, oh, God, thank you for your goodness. Mm. Praise the Lord. And I'm lying there, and then all of a sudden, I, I started to think, geez, that, that rain is sounding so loud, but it's, it's sounding closer than just outside. It's sounding like, it's a bit odd. So I look at Fiona, and she looks at me, and she says, can you hear that? And I'm like, it's nothing, love. It's nothing. It's a beautiful new home. Relax. It's all good. I'm so warm, so cozy. I want to stay wrapped up in this blanket. I want to stay in this moment, enjoying the rain outside. She's like, no, no, it sounds like the rain's... Not inside, it's on top. No, it's inside. It's not on top, it's inside. And, then, and I'm like, oh, here we go. So I'm like, okay. So she sends me out of bed, and I'm, I'm like doing the, the husband duties. I'm looking at the, the, our windows. I'm nothing there. Looking at the doors. I'm like, where is that noise coming from? Going to the bathroom, nothing. Going to our oldest daughter's room, Olivia, nothing. And I'm about to say, Fiona, you are making this up. You are just, uh, you're hearing things. We need to go get you checked out. And so I open the door to our son, Benjamin. And as I open up, our three-year-old boy is sitting straight upright, looking straight at me, says, hi, Dada. And I look up, and a stream like Niagara Falls is coming from the roof, and it's pouring straight into his cot. And I don't want to exaggerate, but I want to tell you, the scene that was happening in front of my eyes, as I started to wade through water, I was up to ankle deep, would have put uh, the Titanic and Leo DiCaprio to shame. Forget Kevin Costner and Waterworld. This was Gabe Phillips in, in Watership Down. We're going down, people. This is crazy. I went into the bathroom and, and the water was, it was, it was now like, it was on that side of the house, it was, it was flowing in. And I was like, this is wonderful. So we, we called everyone to come and help. Our mother-in-law and her cats came as well. And we were at, in the early hours of the morning starting to bail water out of our home. And I thought, wow, I didn't expect this when I bought this home you know, a few months ago. And it was this crazy moment where and everything just was chaos. The kids were awake. They thought this was great excitement as Benji was rowed his way to our bed. And he got out and just so chuffed. And this is so thrilling. And as, I, as we've been preparing and reading this text, that, that story's come back to me. Why? Because I want to bring us to what I believe God is wanting to do with us today in line with even the word that Chris brought this morning, is I believe that we as a people of God, often we hear the noise of the world out there, but we often are oblivious of the water that is pouring into our homes and into our hearts right here. We're living oblivious to the fact that the enemy has got a foothold in our lives and having, is having a field day. And I want to preach about something today that is more deadly than sexual sin. I want to preach about something that is more, um, more devilish than perversion. I want to preach about something that is more destructive than overt heresy. I want to tell you about the number one thing that's stopping you and I from encountering the grace of God. I want to tell you the number one thing that is stealing your peace. I want to tell you about the number one thing robbing you and I of our strength, and we are going to get to the root of it. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and we come with humble hearts, open hearts, 
And right now, we incline our ear to what you are doing, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you tell five people around you very quickly, tell them, tell them, we're going to get to the root of this. Three, two, one, go. I love how this narrative builds up. In verse 1, we, we read Joseph, he cannot contain himself anymore. Or he puts everyone out. He has this incredible dramatic moment where he said, it is I, Joseph. And you get to verse 4 where he says, come close to me. I am your brother, Joseph, who you sold into slavery. And the text has told us that the brothers, as they found out this is who he is, are terrified. Let's just think about that situation. It's, it's, they are there in need, and the man who is the, the source of all authority and power, who's already imprisoned one of their brothers, Simeon, the one who's, who holds their financial and um, economic and, 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 and social future in the palm of his hand, in this moment, the man they thought is their way out of it is actually potentially the man who's going to bring it all crumbling down in a second. The last 20-something years of pain, of lies, of deceit, of betrayal, of covering up, of them trying to live as if Joseph was dead, parading a narrative that's one lie upon the other to keep convincing their dad that Joseph is dead, that they didn't sell him to slavery, that actually he was died at the hands of another. This lie that is built up in these brothers, they've, they said, we're going to take to our grave. Now is right standing alive and kicking in front of them, holding their very lives in front of him. He says, it is I, Joseph. Come close to me. It is I, Joseph. And I read it as a younger brother, and I'm going, ooh, this is a good moment. I can just imagine. It's like he says, come close. It's I, Joseph. And I'm just thinking, oh, he's, he's ready to give. They are expecting the club. Bah, they are ready. He's going to read them the riot act. He's going to tell them, let me take the slow, boys. And you just feel like if you love justice, you're like, come on, this is the moment. Stick it to them, Joe. Come on. They deserve it. These, these ragamuffins, these older brothers. Maybe I'm speaking as a younger brother myself, just venting here. Years of, years of that abuse. You're like, here we go. It's my time to shine. And you think about that reality of a guy who's been mocked, who was stripped, who was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, pretended that he'd been dead, that had been lied about over two decades. He's dead, lived as if he was dead. He has now sat, sat in prison for over a decade. And I can imagine him mulling over that every night, putting another notch on the door another day, going, one more day closer to seeing those guys again. Every single moment, and, and even the promotion has come. I can imagine Joseph, if I'm honest, I'm going, that promotion is there so I can show those guys that what they, they, they did not believe my dream. They just actually, they, they, oh, I can't wait. All of this is lining up to the moment, the juicy moment of vindication. Come on, who wants one of that? I want one of those. It is I, the guy. You know, you go get to the bully who, who, or that teacher who said, you'll never amount to anything. You're like, it is I. Look at me, I'm ready. And like, you, let me remind you what you said. And this incredible moment, and, and it's a reality. When we think about it, we want to get to the root of it. We rewind that story. Joseph, I can imagine that moment, playing all those years, to over two decades in his, in his mind's eyes. The brothers, in their lens, playing those two decades, going, oh goodness, what are we just happening to us here? But if you rewind all the way back to the root of the story, why did all of this begin? Was actually the brothers were jealous of Joseph, the next two decades of their life played out in so many different ways. It started with the root of jealousy, bitterness, and unforgiveness. And because this small little root was not dealt with in the brother's heart, it's into motion the next 20 years of their lives with devastating consequences up to this moment. And I want to remind us and help us in this moment deal with, get to the root of this thing. More deadly than sexual perversion, as the scriptures tell us. More deadly than overt heresy, it is this thing called unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. 
I want to tell you it's the number one assassin of peace, joy, and destinies in God. Why? Because it always starts small, but it never ends there. Let's get to the root of it. It starts with a blue tick message. You, know? you send the message. You know they've seen it. They're not replying. They've left you unread. You're like, what better things have they got to do than reply to me? I bet, they, I bet they're talking about me right now. Now, it starts there. It starts with a cruel, unthinking joke. It starts with a look. It starts with something they don't say. It always starts small. Or maybe, maybe it is, didn't seem small in the moment. Maybe it was something quite large and has affected your whole life. It started with abuse or hurt or betrayal or hatred. I want to tell you why unforgiveness is one of the number one assassin of peace, joy, and destinies in God. Why? Because unforgiveness is a direct attack at the heart of the gospel. Because the gospel is all about a God who forgave humanity. And this is a very direct attack. This is not just a topic to deal with the church. This is the number one enemy we have to deal with. But I want to tell you, it's, I've heard preachers say, it's like unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Great example. I've heard other preachers use the example saying, unforgiveness and bitterness and offense is like taking a dead corpse and carrying it around in your back everywhere you go. And, and, and that is, becomes the, the, the way that you view life and the stench of that the dead corpse. I tell you the best illustration that I've ever had of what unforgiveness is truly like. It's like, imagine if you have a toddler and you can picture Benji, my three-year-old, if that helps you. But in the moments, and he's fully potty trained, people just want to give you guys a shout. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, sharing testimonies this morning. But before that moment, before this joyous day, was the nappies. We would put the nappy on, and then, uh, if you can excuse my crude language, is that Benji would soil the nappy. He would poop in the layman's term. I think that's the Greek word, poop. And, uh, and the stench would be like, oh, we've got to change that nappy. But imagine unforgiveness is, instead of us going and taking the nappy off and, and, and cleaning Benji up, it's coming and going, oh, it's starting to seep out. What we need is another nappy. Put the nappy on top of that. And then you go about it, and that's fine for a while. Spray a few deodorant around. But then as that, 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 that as I say again, poop starts to seep out of the second nappy, like another nappy. And over years, we just started applying nappies upon this, this lad. And we're thinking that we're just masking the smell, masking the odor. But that odor is always going to find a way out. That, that poo is not going to stay in there. It's always going to find a way out. And I think this is the reality. We live in this world saying time heals. But that's the greatest lie. Because time is just another nappy put on the pain, on the insecurity, on the betrayal. But I'm telling you, like that little crack in our roof, the water will always find its way in. This is the reality for you and I. The stench always just gets worse. I want to tell us very quickly what three things that bitterness and unforgiveness does. And I would love us to take notes if you can. Number one, unforgiveness deceives us. The Bible says there are three things that are deceptive in nature. The deceitfulness of wealth. That when you get a lot of money, you get deceived because you think that life is good. I've got it under control. That you are more in control than you actually are. It says, wealth is deceptive. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. So when Oprah says, trust your heart, I tell you she's lying. The Bible says, don't trust your heart. Trust Jesus. Because your heart is deceitful. You just have to line up all the, the, the girls that I pledged undying love to in my teenage years. The heart is deceitful, people. But here's the thing. The third thing the Bible tells us is that actually bitterness and unforgiveness and offense is deceitful. What is it saying by that? What does it mean? It means that when you, when you get offended or hurt or un, and you have unforgiveness in your heart, all of a sudden the lens of your life goes askew. 
all of a sudden you cannot see the grace anymore, all you can see is the pain. This is the reality that undealt with wounds are the breeding ground for deception. Let me say it this way, in Matthew chapter 7 and, 24, and chapter 24, when Jesus is talking about the last days, and this is when all, all, all of us get a little bit hot on the collar, like, oh, the last days, tell us. Oh, rumors of wars and, and earthquakes, here we go. When's the end time? Who's the Antichrist? Let's do it. Come on, who's it? Let's play Russian roulette. Who's? Sorry for the play on the word Russian. Huh? It's got nothing to do with Vlad. Anyway, let's move on. But we're like, who, who, what is it? Tell us, Jesus. Jesus says this, this, one of the greatest signs of the last days is in the last days, many will be offended and many will be deceived. We're living in cancel culture. We're living in a, in a world of church hurt and deconstruction because the church hurt me and people giving up destinies because of hurt and, and wounds and brokenness when actually this is the reality that Jesus says there shall be wolves in sheep's clothing. Let me just quickly say, it doesn't say wolves in shepherd's clothing. Hold up, because I think a lot of ministries have been launched to look and point out the heresy in the pulpit when Jesus says the wolves will be in sheep's clothing. Those getting deceived will be us in the pews, not just the people preaching. There's deception everywhere, but this is where it starts. It starts in our hearts, and we have to realize there are more false prophets in the pews than on the platforms. It's in us, and let me be honest, it's in me. A few years ago, there was, uh, there's this man who's had one of the greatest impacts on my life, and uh, he's uh, incre incredible, like a spiritual father, and poured grace upon grace upon my life, generosity upon generosity. He's just been an incredible sounding board, uh, a, place, a place of accessibility, and I've encountered God through him in tremendous ways. And then there came one day when something happened, a small incident, and his one comment, he said one thing, and I was like, what? How dare he say that? He doesn't know the facts. He doesn't know why I did X, Y, Z, but he said that one thing, and he walked out there shaking his head, and I walked going, how dare he? Does he not know who I am? Obviously, he didn't. Because that night, I remember going to sleep, and I lay there, and I tossed, and I turned, and I remember waking up Fee in the middle of the night saying, Fee, the enemy's got in. Because I had started to plot every word that I would say to him the next day. I wanted to correct him. I wanted him to know how, how wrong and off base he was. I wanted to let him know that how dare he speak to me in that vein. How dare he doesn't. He, uh, I started to do that. And in one evening, because of one comment, I could not see the grace of God and, and 15 years of, of legacy. All I saw was one moment. Because offense is deceptive. It's like water, a little crack that's just opened up. And the noise that was out there was now in my home. Here's the reality. Secondly, it doesn't just deceive us. Offense, bitterness, unforgiveness deadens us. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So by the scripture saying that there's a, a way that we do not obtain the grace of God. This is what he goes on to say. The writer of Hebrews says that no root of bitterness, let's get to the root of it. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The other translation says a poisonous root of bitterness. Why do I, I read that? Because actually offense and bitterness and unforgiveness, it's not just against another person. It starts to seep in and it will poison and affect others and your love for Jesus. It's poisonous. It seeps in. It's insidious. It does, it's not this thing that just happens out there. It starts to take over all of who you are. Thirdly, and for time's sake, it doesn't just deceive, it deadens, but it also demonizes. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus himself says this, those who harbor bitterness and offense in their hearts 
are in danger of a living hell. Proverbs chapter six, the seven deadly sins, people. Adultery doesn't get in there. Offense and bitterness does. This is the reality. 2 Timothy chapter two says this, those who are offended with each other are easily taken captive to do Satan's will. This is not just some relational issue gone wrong. This is now a spiritual issue that is gonna lead to demonic strongholds. This is a number one killer of God's peace, God's joy, and God's life and activity in your life. Let me tell you, in in Luke chapter 17, if there's this text, and we might know it, maybe you've heard the scripture, Jesus says, "If, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry bush, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea and it would obey you. Anyone heard that one before? It's a good text. If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, Let me tell you, the context of that scripture, if you go read it, is not about faith and doing great exploits. The context is about faith for forgiveness. Because the very thing before that is Jesus saying, if someone sins against you seven times a day and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. To which the disciples said, show us how to increase our faith. To which Jesus says, if you have faith the size of mustard seed, then you can do it. It's not about great faith and changing the world. It's actually about changing your world of forgiving. Extending forgiveness. Let me tell you, Matthew 18, maybe you've heard this text, where someone says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Praise Jesus. Whatever was loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And where two or more gathered in my name, I am there. Great scripture for a prayer meeting. Great scripture to get the charismatics going. Let's bind and loose people. Wonderful. But here's the context of that scripture. The context isn't great spiritual unity or great spiritual authority. No, the context is about forgiveness. And it leads to great unity and spiritual authority in God's presence. Matthew 18, the whole context is about forgiveness and forgiving people. The next parable straight out of that is about the master who forgives his steward. Let me tell you, the whole chapter is about forgiveness. And that little one line about if you bind and loose and unity is about forgiveness. This is not a pet topic on the side. This is huge. So I want to say, how does it work? Number one, this is how offense, bitterness, and unforgiveness works. Number one, we pick it up. Offense is never given, it's always taken. It's always taken. It's uh, that racial moment. Someone says that offside joke, and something in your past just leaps up and goes, whoa, how dare they say that? It's that pastor who says something that just, oh, he's supposed to not say that type of humor. What is he doing in that moment? It's a friend who shares something. It's a wife who forgets to do something. That's not a personal test me. Be free, Fiona. So glad she doesn't have a microphone. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but we pick it up. We pick it up. It comes there. And every day, it's, uh, offenses are coming. And these opp- or opportunities for offense are coming. And it's up to you and I. We let it pass by or we pick it up. The next thing that does, secondly, we don't just pick it up. This is how it works. We become bound. It's a, this is, offense is not just an emotion. Unforgiveness is not just a feeling. This is a spiritual attack on, your, on the gospel in your life. Your understanding of who God is and how he has forgiven you, in this moment it becomes bound and it cripples you. And thirdly is this reality, it leads you to being unable to move. You're unable because of offense, because of this root of bitterness, you're unable to step into what God has for you. God says be generous. And you're like, I've done that before, but I saw that one church and you know, they misused things. Mm-mm, I'm not doing it again. We start silencing the voice of God based on our experiences and hurts of people rather than living free. God says, the the church says, why don't we lift our hands as a church? I'm not lifting a hand until you've proven yourself, pastor. Because you know that one time you forgot to greet me. Actually, you were not obtaining the grace of God. I'm not obtaining it. 
but because of hurt and, and bitterness and betrayal, you're going, actually, I'm not going to do it. And we start to get bound. We can't move. We can't move into space God has for us. But here's the thing. How does it work to get free? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask the best questions just when I'm getting to that best point. Thank you. Number one, here's so deep today. Don't pick it up. Put it down. Put it down. Drop it. Why? Because Jesus says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says, it's mine. And I'm telling you, I'm not making less of what happened to you. I'm not saying what happened to you is not a big deal. I'm not belittling and saying that hurt, those years of rejection, that years of emotional abuse, that betrayal, that moment that has scarred your life. I'm not saying that it's, too, it's not, not significant. I'm just saying your future is much more significant. It's much more significant. Jesus is, uh, in 1 Peter, he says, our remedy is to cast our burdens onto Jesus. It doesn't say cast your burdens onto social media. Cast your burdens onto that friend. I'm just, I just want to be honest with myself and unburden myself. No, that's called gossip and you're festering unforgiveness. Let me tell you, this doesn't say cast your burdens onto WhatsApp groups, onto Insta, Insta stories and just putting this out there. No, it says cast them onto Jesus because he cares for you. Put it down. Secondly, let them go free. The, the word in, in the Greek for the word offense is the word scandalon which basically means a hook or a trap. Like this, like it's like the bait, the bait of a fishing rod that's there. You know, like it's like a fish and it's going, and, it's like, and we are just like unwitting. We're like, ah, I want to take it all the time. And we get pulled into the, the, the fence of the enemy like in seconds. It's so small and insignificant, but very quickly it colors our whole life, deceives us, deadens us, demonizes us, oh, and pulls us away from the life of God in our lives. But here's the thing, when we see that, and I say let them go free, it's basically us saying we're going to let them off the hook. Let them off the hook. And it, it's, it rallies against our sense of justice. But I want to tell you, I love the fact that Joseph, in this moment of Genesis 45, when this moment has come, he's like, oh, here we go. The gloves are coming off. I'm going to tell him, it is I, Joseph. Here we go. You're ready for me to get vindication. Before this happens, it says, Joseph put everyone else out the room. In this moment of authority and power, when he could have said, hey, let me, I want to tell everyone here what you did to me. In this moment, he said, I'm going to tell you about your I'm going to forgive you, but I'm actually not going to embarrass you. Everything in us, I want to forgive you, but I need to tell you how you hurt me first. Because I need that, that, that itch, that carnal itch of satisfaction, so you know. But Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do that. Let's take it one step further. Jesus, it says, before his accusers, he remained silent. That, that is the most hardcore scripture around relational realities. When somebody is saying, say, you, let me tell you what you did, and every thing inside you wants to get bigger and defend and tell them, no, let me tell you what you did, Jesus says, power, power. He let them go free. Thirdly and finally, if you want to know if you are winning the battle against unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense, put it down, let them go free. Thirdly, load them with blessing. Highball. They leave Joseph's presence and they go back to call their dad. Don't go with their heads between their tails. Not going, Joseph's going, yeah, go tell your father I'm alive and I'm, I want to chat to him about what you guys have done. No, he says, I want you to go call your dad, but I want to actually load you with blessing. You're taking supplies back with you for the journey. And I want you to be able to come back here and I want you to have a seat at the table here in Egypt. This is your future now. 
He loads them with blessing. This is not just some anecdotal thing from the Old Testament. This is Jesus himself in Matthew 5. He says this, pray for anyone who mistreats you. Another translation says, bless those who abuse you. Let me tell you, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, not once does he say, pray for your mom. It's a nice one. Not once do you say, hey, pray for your mates, you know? That's a good thing to do. I'm not saying don't pray for your mom or your friends. But Jesus, when he teaches us our prayer, he goes, let me tell you, on the Sermon on the Mount, I want to teach you how to pray. Bless those who abuse you. That is what Jesus calls us to do. He says, bless those who curse you. And this is the reality. When Jesus has been teaching on unforgiveness, every time the response from the disciples is, Lord, this is hard. And I think... If I end the sermon now, I pray that you would have the same response. This is hard. Because right now, there's that moment, that voice that was so painful. It's usually the people you love, the people you respect, the people you admire who hurt you the most. That moment that when your dad said this thing and then didn't do that thing. It's haunted you for more than two decades. It's followed you, led you down paths that you wish you could get back. And you said, if, if only that had happened, I wouldn't have gone down this road. I wouldn't have spent that decade there. I wouldn't have spent, gone into that relationship. That, that moment of when that, that friend said this thing, that person who did this thing to you, that relationship that was abusive. And you feel like, why, how did I get into that situation? You got to this moment, you're feeling all the wasted years and emotion. And you're saying, I, 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 yes, I forgive, but I will never forget. And you're like, I want to be free. I want to tell you. Say it's hard. Yes, it's right. Peter said to Jesus, well, after teaching like this, he said, Jesus, this is hard. He says, how many times must I forgive a person? Peter says, seven times. And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Now, I know there was something more going on there, but let's even be literal. 70 times seven is 490. Maths, people. It's a pleasure. 490 times, he says, a day. I'm like, same person. Guys, hard. I'm like, oh, thank you. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you. Great teaching. Because I can imagine Peter saying, do you know who's in our 12? Judas. Do you know this dude? This guy hasn't paid me back for three years yet. I've paid for every meal. But it's like this, Peter's wrestling and Peter says, Lord, then Peter hears this and he says something. I don't know if it was a, trying to be super spiritual. I don't know. But Peter goes, ah, I bore Aish. Uh, increase my faith. And what I love about that is everything inside of me says, actually, I will forgive when I get my feelings ready. But Jesus doesn't talk about feelings. He says, no, I need to increase your faith. Because it's actually not about their apology that holds your future. It's not about your vindication that holds your future. It's not about the situation changing that holds your future. It's how you see him. Because unforgiveness is the number one killer because it's against the heart of the gospel. Let me tell you, the root of your lack of peace, your lack of joy... Or can I even say sometimes your health challenges? The water is pouring in, and it won't just end up affecting you. It will affect generations to come. The root of bitterness grows and leads to death. Let's get to the root of it. I believe that futures and destinies are, are in the balance. I, I, I would, if I had time, I'll tell you the story of, of my mom whose brother was murdered. And this journey of a family had to navigate this and this, 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 this trial that was going overseas and, and vindication and how to do it and navigating this moment. But getting to a place of saying, actually, we're going to forgive and let go. And a whole side of the family who wrestled with for years but stayed bound for years to this moment. But a mother who set up a generation saying, actually, I'm not going to let that bound. It's dreadful. There will be justice, yes. But actually, I'm going to trust the Lord. 
and a generation who gets set free and able to make their own calls. I'll tell you, Matthew 18, Jesus says this. Jesus says this, people. He says, if you forgive others, your Father will forgive you. And I don't know what to do with that sometimes. But here's the thing. I say, if you say, I can't forgive, then you have forgotten how sinful you are. Because this is the, the trump card for us. This is the power is that we talk about this man named Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. This is what's so profound. We have to understand this big theological understanding that Jesus died as the victim. He was the lamb led to the slaughter. He was the innocent one. He had no sin upon himself. He was the blameless one. He was the one who, in a sense, the greater picture of Joseph, the one who, who just followed and, and kept making these decisions, but it was at the fate of man that his life went to death. And he was the spotless lamb, the innocent victim. He died. He had been betrayed, lied about, falsely accused, whipped and beaten. He died as the innocent. But Jesus on the cross, we're told, also died as the perpetrator. Jesus, the God-man, it says he became our sin. He became our sin on the cross. That means that when he died, the weight of the world was put on his shoulders. In that moment, he became, in our stead, the adulterer, the abuser, the liar, the fraud. The, he became our sin. He became the perpetrator. Only the God-man Jesus could be the innocent lamb that was slain without sin and have the weight of the sin of the world poured against him. In him was the one who was abused. In him, he was the one who was, who, he was God who put him on the cross in that moment. This is the reality for you and I. He took our offenses upon himself. He embraced that uh, sin. But here's the good news. The Bible says he took it upon himself, but then he let us go free. He let us go free. It's scandalous. The true perpetrators get to go free. You and I, the ones who put him on the cross, our sin, we get to go free. I said the word for bait, the, the fence, the bait of Satan, is the word scandalon. But I want to tell you, that is so scandalous that that little thing can destroy your destiny and pull you away. But let me tell you about the scandal of grace, that that one thing, trusting in His grace and letting go and saying, not my will, but yours be done, can pull you into a life that you'll never imagine. This is the power of the gospel we have to understand. He lets us go free, but here's the even better news. Jesus, on the cross, loaded us up with blessing. He didn't just leave us morally neutral. Fine, your sins have been washed away. That's it, boys. That's all I'm doing for you guys. You're on your own now. Come on, second chance, try harder this time. No, the Bible says he did not leave us morally neutral. It says that he took, he became our sin so that we could become the very righteousness of God. He changed who we are. He laid, loaded us up with blessing. Those who offend him with sin, those you and I who go back to the same sin again and again, he made us the righteousness of God, full of joy, peace, and life. In a sense, he established a new route. Let's get to the root of it. Jesus was described in the scripture. And Isaiah says, it was in his life as he died, he'll become the stump of Israel, Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 11 says, but there'll be a root, a root of David, a root of Jesse will start to spring up and be a sign that there's a light. When everyone is looking away and says, how can we find this? The root of Jesse will emerge. And the Bible tells us in Revelations chapter five, it says this in verse four, be on the screen. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Watch this. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Let me tell you today, I want to declare over us the people. The root of David is greater than the root of bitterness. Let me tell you, the root of David is always far greater than the root of bitterness. If you've been abused, if you've been maligned, 
if you've been used, forgotten about, lied about, taken advantage of, today is the day to uproot the root of bitterness and allow the root of David to take over. Let me tell you this last thought. It'll be on the screen. Is that your roots determine your roots. Your roots will determine where you go. The root of bitterness will lead to lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of life in Jesus, lack of authority and power. But the root of David, when you trust there and say, I'm going to uproot that bitterness and offense and say, Jesus, I trust you. Watch what God will do. Watch what God will do. Why don't we stand to our feet? I want to read this last scripture. I tell you, future generations will trace their freedom to this moment if we take God at his word. It's not logical. I know in light of the pain, in light of the, the trauma, in light of the, the brokenness inside your heart, it's not logical. It's not reasonable. But we're getting to the root of it. Because in Genesis chapter 45, verse 7, Joseph sums up this whole thing. He said, let me tell you, boys, God sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. God sent me here, not you. David's saving grace was not the root of it, but actually he knew he went deeper still and found the root of it was God himself. That actually beneath all of the offense, God is still working. God says, will you trust me? This is hard. So I say, God, would you increase our faith? Why don't we close our eyes? Why don't you lift your hands? If you're comfortable in the room, why don't you lift your hands as high as you can? I believe this word is not just for one or two. This is for everyone. This is the number one killer. It leaves us to cynicism. It leads us to critical spirits. It leads us to choking the life of God. We think it's the noise just is out there. This is for someone else. But I'm telling you right now, if we are not aware, see to it that you do not. Be careful that you do not obtain the grace that's available for you. Don't make sure that no root of bitterness, no little crack in the ceiling opens up and water starts streaming in and affecting your family because you're not watching this thing. Let me tell you right now, as you lift your hands, I'm going to ask you in this moment, I'm going to count to three and I want you in an act of faith. We're going to drop it. We're going to drop our hands and in that moment we're saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you this relationship. I'm giving you this pain. I'm giving you that moment that I've played over and again. I'm giving you this need for vindication. I'm giving it to you and I'm dropping it. I'm casting it into your hands. So with hands lifted, three, two, one, let's drop it. Father, I pray right now. In this room, I thank you that debts are being canceled. Prisoners are being released. Released from being held in bondage to what others did to us. People said to us. People didn't do to us. They didn't say about us. I thank you, God, for my friends today that our future is not dictated by governments. Our future is not dictated to you by parents. It's not dictated to you by rejection or that offense It's dictated by the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I pray right now, I believe the Spirit of God is doing something by whether my preaching is good or bad, whether there's a pivotal moment in the sermon or not. Let me tell you, the Spirit of God is a spirit of grace and the promotable life is a forgiving life. Freely we've received, now freely we give. So right now in this moment, every eye closed. If you're saying, this is hard, but God, increase my faith. I'm gonna ask you to lift your hands, personally. Lift your hands as a, last time I'll ask you to do this. Lift your hands for this specific moment. I thank you, Father. Right now, you see a people saying, increase my faith, God. I don't wanna go by feelings. I wanna go by faith. So I thank you, Father God, that you're marking us as a church who are free, who live 
not easily offended, who live without bitterness and poison in their hearts. Right now, Father God, we do the hard work of taking off those nappies and dealing with the root of it. Dealing with the root of it, God, because our roots will determine our roots. And I thank you, Father God, there's a rerouting. As the GPS would say, as we've been heading on a collision course with brokenness, with, with, with betrayal, we've collision course with dying in bitterness and with this resentment in our heart and squeezing the life of God out of us. Right now, the, the GPS of the Holy Spirit says, rerouting. 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 The root of, root of bitterness for the root of David. The root of your past is now going to be the root of your future. I thank you, Father. Reroot, reroot right now. Futures, life. I thank you, Father God, in abundance. This is a church of great forgiveness. Thank you, Father God. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Father. Thank you for your ministry here today, God, that you are doing things in our hearts. Right now, I really believe as we land this meeting, there's some people here who have been running away from God and you feel that you have outsinned the grace of God and you've bought into the the lie that your sin is so scandalous that you're too far gone. But I believe today God wants to tell you about the scandal of grace that says His forgiveness trumps your sin every time. If that's you, you're saying, I need to come and repent and return to God. I need to come to God. Yes, I need to forgive others, but I need God's forgiveness for me. I don't want to labor under this guilt and the shame and hiding and covering up my own sin and mess. I want to come to him and say, Jesus, heal me. Wash me clean. If that's you, no one's looking around. Lift your eyes and lift your hand. If that's you, three, two, one, lift your hand. Is that you? Cool. Thank you, Father. Pray right now. Set the captives free. Overwhelm them with your grace. Thank you, God, that you're coming like a flood with your grace right now. Overwhelm them right now with your grace, your kindness, your goodness. It's by your blood that we are set free. We forgive right now. We say, God, we have sinned. We've fallen short of your glory. But we thank you right now. We recognize our need for you, Jesus. And we surrender afresh. I thank you, Father God. Would forgiveness flow to us from the throne of, from the throne of grace. And God, would it flow through us to a world in desperate need to know about our King. Thank you, God. Reroute us. Reroute us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.